Welcome to the Harvest House Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, you can find us at harvesthouse.live. started. 
And the thing that is interesting about this equation is it's actually really neat. First of all, number one, it's absolutely predictable. Absolutely predictable. Number two, it's not something old. It started about 200 years ago. So the idea that we live in ages, and right now we're in a certain age, and then soon to come is going to be the millennial reign, the, ra- the tribulation age, and the millennial reign of the church, that's called dispensationalism. And it was something that guys came up with about 200 years ago. Um, and the guy, interestingly enough, the guy was found by his own denomination to be a heretic. But we kept his idea. That's a great way to do things, isn't it? You know, it's it's like you take uh, we take a lot of these things from people. You know, uh, one we don't have time to talk about this, but one of our understanding of how speaking in tongues works came from the guy who was the primary spokesman for using scripture to justify why African Americans didn't have souls, and so segregation was biblical. So the challenge is sometimes that stuff kind of creeps into the way we think. And when we move forward, we're just kind of, unfortunately, sometimes we bring some of that baggage with us. And I don't mean to do that. I'm not trying to be condescending. But, but some of the dispensational thinking we bring with us. And actually, it's really interesting when you study the early church, like the first 200 years of the church, post-church, post-dispensational stuff, they actually had tongues built. They actually... Um, the, uh, uh, another guy came up with something that could be called dispensationalism. This was actually called modalism, and we don't have time to talk about that. We wouldn't be here if we did. If, if you're ever sleepy but can't go to sleep, just call me, and I'll talk to you about modalism. It'll do the trick, I promise. And I'll be thrilled. Like, I'll have a great time, but you'll be like, wait, you got to stop. Um, <laughs> and uh, so anyway, and what I, is amazing to me is there's oftentimes – I'll look over and Tasha snoring, and I'll just go, yeah, and just keep going because I'm having a great time. Like, it really doesn't bother me. I'm good. It's, it's great. So, uh, so the idea of, of this dispensational is that we are living now in the church age, and then soon is going to be the millennia, uh, the rapture age, and then there's going to be, obviously, uh, the tribulation age uh, that's preceded, or in the middle you have the rapture, or maybe after it, the post-trib. then you've got the millennial reign, it's not in the Bible. It's just not in the text. It's not in the scriptures. That idea that we are living in these ages, there's one age that we're living in. Teenage. That's the age. And guess what? For the rest of eternity, guess what age we'll be living in? The kingdom. Jesus came to set right what was wrong and to set us on a track course for the kingdom. And I say track course because a lot of times we maybe don't keep reading the little bit going, but the whole thing is going on. Sometimes we're very much along for the ride and don't even know it, but the whole thing is moving. So his kingdom is around us and very much here. And so 
experts say we should get between 80 and 90% of our energy from our breathing. 80 to 90% of your energy should come from your breath. But the average person only accesses closer to 10 to 20% of that energy. 10 to 20. Does anybody feel tired? Guess why? Because we're living on 10 to 20% of the energy that we're supposed to live on. And I, I, I don't know why this would be, and I don't have a ton of money this morning, so ask your step mom here. Uh, get me out of here. Uh, and so, anyway, uh, the, uh, <laughs> yeah, when it's from the pulpit, you have to do it. So, just being clear, this is how this works. That's exactly right. I think this is how this is supposed to work. Eli, you want to come up or you, okay. Uh, so, <laughs> that's exactly right. So, um, anyway, the, ask your step mom here. And one of the things that is interesting that will happen is um, as the razor battery gets Weaker, um, the 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 razor still works, but with the <laughs> with the and this has never happened with Ashley. I just started with this story. This has never happened with her. I just started with her as a reference point for things I might need to haircut. Now moving on to a completely unrelated note. If the razor ever is low on battery, it, it rather than chopping and cutting nicely does this unique pulled motion whereby it gives you whiplash as it pulls your head to the side. Um, and the interesting thing is we can get through life on 10 to 20% of our energy. But it's no wonder why we oftentimes get into that whiplash. And the reality is because with all that we have going on every day, who actually thinks about breathing? Who actually stops to think about it? In the Bible, Moses is living as a shepherd in Midian, and God appears to him as a burning bush. And he instructs him to take his shoes off because the ground he's standing on is what? Holy. Moses had been walking on that ground for 40 years, had the ground shaken. How much of the ground that we walk on is holy and we don't know it? How many burning bushes do we walk by every single day? How many steps do we take? How many instances and moments are there where the ground we're on at that moment. See, the, the challenge we have is we took what God told Moses and we said that that's why nobody is, in the early days, it was you couldn't be in the church barefoot. Actually, you couldn't have, uh, you couldn't have open toed stuff. You had to have totally clothed foot. Because that's the patriarchy. Now, the heat shoes, yes, that is important, but that's more for my benefit than it is God's. And, and so what he started with is this idea that in the church, you know, we then took that and said, nope, the, church, the sanctuary is where God is and that's holy. And there are actually, uh, some of you know the story, but one of the primary things 
that actually um, caused uh, the father's church to lose their standing with a prominent denomination was the people were on the stage worshiping with their shoes. And so we make these holy spaces into these kinds of things, when in reality, what God was actually trying to tell Moses is, you've been wandering around in a desert in shame and in condemnation for however many years, all the while not realizing that the whole thing is holy. So God hears the cry of the people of Israel. He sends Moses as the rescuer, the, the deliverer to rescue them. And what Moses says to God is, what is your name so that I can tell them who I'm speaking on behalf of? I have a pretty strong suspicion if a bush talked to me, I would do the same thing. Um, so I would uh, probably look at this mother-in-law's tongue and say, what is your name? So that I can tell the people who have kept Israel captive who sends me. And it's a really interesting thing because God says, tell them the Lord sent you. Now, for us to, well, okay, no, more like many years later, thousands of years later, um, it, the, the, that idea of Lord is not really a big deal. Because the word Lord is used in our English Bible 4,000 times. So it's really not a big deal. In fact, the word, the word Lord is very oftentimes used. And, and I've heard all kinds of people try to explain what Lord means. The really interesting thing is that is that's like taking a metaphor for God and trying to explain what that means. And the thing that's really interesting is that would be like trying to explain what fire means when God says I'm a consuming fire rather than understanding that there's already a metaphor being used to define what God is. Do we, I mean, do we see how this works? Like, we spend all this time. I, there are books written about Lord and what does Lord mean. What we don't understand is the word Lord is already a metaphor. So why are we coming up with metaphors or explanations for the metaphor? It makes no sense. So the word Lord is something that we use very often 4,000 times in our Bible. But the first time it was used, when God said this, it's really interesting because the Hebrew word translated Lord is actually four letters. If you look in your Bible, the word Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, all four letters capitalized, which is weird in our English language anyway. The original Hebrew was four capital letters. Y-H-D-H. Now, what we have turned this into so that we can say it is the word Yahweh. But it's actually in the Hebrew. It is Y-H-D-H. There are no vowels. And I don't know, but I would venture to say, I'm not saying it's right, but I think it is actually possible to pronounce it this way. I would have to think that in most languages, you can't pronounce a word without, there has to be vowels in the word to be able to pronounce the word. And that's part of the point. Because what God said is, my name is Y-H-D-H. But in Hebrew, 
actually was never intended to be pronounced. God didn't say his name. He didn't say Yahweh. What he said when Moses said, who am I going to say is sending me? He said, So when God answered, he wasn't saying, he was saying who he is. God. And yet we've turned it into Yahweh and we've turned it into Lord and we've turned it into names that we feel like are are proper pronouns for the divine. But in reality, the very first time we see God naming his child, what he says is, I am bread. Some have come to say it Yahweh, but in the original tradition, they wouldn't be able to pronounce it this way. In fact, they refused to pronounce the word. And so interestingly, what we'll talk about, um, uh, well, we'll talk about that maybe in a second, but what you find as we tie this back into how the Hebrew people saw it, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, what you find is this interesting commandment, the second commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord God in what? Okay? So what actually happened is God is giving um, these ten commandments, which are the laws, the first five laws, there's, there's a whole other teaching, but the first five laws are about how we're to worship well. The second five laws are about how we're to love people well. You, that's a whole other teaching for another day. But, but it's about creating a worshiping and blessing society. A worshiping, meaning sustained with the divine, and just, meaning we love people well. And so what you find about this is in the second commandment, which I always thought is really interesting because I was told this is God's way of telling me not to cuss. Right? That's what it's supposed to be. The second commandment, don't take the name of the Lord God in vain. Do you realize the lunacy? I'm not suggesting that taking, that using God's name as a cuss word is a good idea, nor am I going to do it this morning. Uh, God bless me some religion. God bless more than my religion. Uh, so the idea of, of that, isn't it interesting that we would actually think that God only has these ten commandments he's going to give? And he decides to use one of those to say, don't cuss. Like, he's only got ten to work with. And one of them is don't swear, don't cuss. Are we kidding ourselves? And so for the Jewish people, that wouldn't have made any, 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 any sense anyway, because the idea of swearing in that way wouldn't have made sense. They wouldn't have done that anyway. So we read it into our context, and somehow then we erase cuss words. Most of you have probably said the S word three times this morning. However, most of us 
is used in the F word or Philippian literature? Well, right? I've got up and walked out of movies. And they can say all kinds of other words. But when they throw those out, uh-uh, I'm done. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing because I do understand that culturally there is some element of that. And I do feel like that culturally I've been conditioned to look at it as a plague bothering me. But the idea that that's what the second commandment's about has no bearing on what it's really about. So what we actually see is that in this second commandment, the idea was that um, at the time they would have known this as a direction to not speak God's name casually or trivially with emptiness or false comprehension. Essentially implying a false pretense of understanding what God wants or what God is all about. Why? Because they understood that God, His name is breath. And as soon as you start naming God proper, you start saying things like conservative Christian. You start putting God's name on things that aren't God. You start saying things like godly nation. You start saying things like Christian music. Because the idea is he's bigger than our boxes. So when they begin to ask God, who are we going on behalf of? He said, breath. Why? Because breath is innately human. So the second commandment, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people actually took this so far. And this is going to be part of our midrash. So I'm not going to keep looking at it. Um, forgive me. Take notes. Um, so the, the, I need to be done. I mean, that's just me. Um, <laughs> very good. So the idea is that um, when they came up with this idea of don't take the Lord your God in, in vain, what actually it was connected to, directly connected to, was the fact that his name was Yahweh, Yahweh, breath. And so what they understood is don't be putting God's name on things that are things. And they understood that very well. In fact, they took this so far that they, Jewish people to this day, if you meet somebody who is hardcore Hebrew, they will not use the name of God. They won't say Jehovah. They won't say Yahweh. They might say Jesus. But they will not use the name of God. In many cases, when I've heard rabbis speak, they'll say the Holy One, the Holy Name, the name that isn't to be named. Oftentimes, they will call him the divine. They'll call him the source. They will call him the holy. They will call him love or light with capital letters. And if we were to hear that in a church today, we would call that New Age. If for the rest of this year, in 2019, if I only referred to God as love or light and only used those terms to use the word God, people would say we were being New Agey and that we were ashamed to say the name of God. 
Jesus. But the Jewish people said the blood is source is so holy. We need to help you. We're only going to give you So they would call for blood. So that's the idea of the second commandment. Because we, we have to understand is as soon as you start saying God is something and tying his name to things, you very quickly begin to assign things as being endorsed by God. You very quickly use these types of things to say that something is in or out because it is godly or not godly. It's Christian or not Christian. You begin to come up with these assignments, and we have to be careful about the systems and structures of man and systems and structures that then get co-opted by God. So as soon as, so the idea that God was always trying to convince them, I'm bigger than that, I'm bigger than that, I'm bigger than that. So what happens is they come up with all these metaphors. But to our point, why is that important? Because when Moses said, who are you, what is your name, he was asking, how do I define you? And what God's answer is, I am the breath that fills all. It'll take me three minutes, and we'll be done, okay? I am the breath that fills all. That's what made him God. I am the thing that is inside of everyone and sustaining the whole thing. Now, remind me, who was Moses going to speak to? Was he going to speak to a Christian person or a heathen oppressor? He's going to speak to Pharaoh in Egypt. This guy typified and defined what empire looked like. Every nation in Israel after this that is an oppressor will be compared to Egypt. Rome is compared to Egypt. Why? Because that is the quintessential oppressor. And yet God says when you go to them, I want you to tell them I'm the breath that's in everyone in everywhere. And I'm the breath that is in everyone. I'm the breath that fills within any being. Jesus goes on to say when they ask Jesus what God is like, he is like wind or spirit. The wind blows wherever it pleases. We thought God was saying we were too imperfect to utter the name of this divine force. See, that's the way that the Jewish people actually translate it. So they seem to say that, oh, so what you're saying is God is too holy and we're not allowed to say his name because we're imperfect and he's holy. No, 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 no. That's not it at all. It's actually the opposite of that. What was actually happening was God was actually saying, when in reality, I am every word that you speak. I am every word that comes out of your mouth. Try and speak without breathing. Let me know how it works out for you, if that's okay with you. So the idea is God defines himself de- defines himself rather as being the source of all life. What he says is 
your very breath is a depiction of my being within you. Pay attention. I'm going to say this again. Your very breath is the depiction that I'm already in you. So guess what? Why would it be that God would tell us that we need to breathe deeply from the core of who we are? Because every breath is a reminder that he is the, the thing that's within us that when you have an anxiety attack, what do you start doing? Breathing shallow, breathing deeply. It's not, they actually say that the way, if you would go to breathing training, they would tell you, breathe from your toes. Why? Breathe. This is you. When we think about this further, in the Jewish religion story in Genesis, we find God taking the dust from the ground and shaping mankind. Then God breathed into this clay a lifeless sculpture to the life. The Hebrew word for the ground is dama. The Hebrew word for the ground is dama. When God made us from it, we are humanity, not man. Humanity is adama. In our English, we said it was what? Adam. Adama. You know what Adama means? Ground with breath in it. Adama is essentially, so think about how God actually does this. He takes the ground, creation. Why do you think it is the Franciscans teach that you should, they actually teach that you should, uh, if at all possible, stand outside with your shoes off, your feet in the ground or the dirt in the clay? Because they say that when you do that, you can feel creation coming with you. And if that sounds too weird, you should probably read Romans. Creation groans into the dirt. And the reason there's that connection and why, because you are ground with breath in you. And so what God does is he invests his breath into you. The idea is there's this deep thought that we are actually just these fragile clay sculptures with breath. We are from the earth, and yet we have this breath. And the reality of it is the Proverbs actually go further, and they say life is but a vapor or a breath. So what I would think about for me, is there anything within us in the Old and New Testament over and over and over and over and over and over and over again? You find this idea of spirit and breath. In fact, Old Testament, it's, it's spirit and breath is the same word. Ruach, wind, spirit, breath. New Testament, pneuma, wind, spirit, breath. So when God in the Old and New Testament chose to define himself, the way he chose to define himself was by your breath. know this messes with us. If it doesn't, you probably don't understand it. It should mess with you. The more I thought about this, the more I thought I might be losing my mind. Because the reality is the thing that fills your being is breath. And the thing that fills your being is him. And what Paul goes on to say, this is interesting. Paul goes on to say this. If the spirit or breath of God dwells within you, you are a new creation. Isn't that great? Let me ask you this. 
Christians have breath in them? Well, according to Scripture, if they don't, the Bible says that God breathed his breath lifeless into them, right? So you know what Paul actually says? All, everything, is after Jesus, through Jesus, because of Jesus, and in him. So, what I would like to do is I would like to ask you a simple, simple, simple question. If the idea is that this breath, if the Bible says God gives us his spirit without limit, the way he defines that he's given you that spirit without limit is that you breathe. God loves to do miraculous things to remind you of spiritual things, right? We know that. And so every time you take a breath, he's reminding you, separate your breath from your being because as long as you breathe, you breathe. But as long as you separate your breath from your body, and so the the question this morning would be then is simply: Is there anything in you that you need to breathe out? And is there anything of you that you need to breathe in? because the text is saying breathe. And and so when Jesus defined the Holy Spirit that he's given you, he said he's coming and he's going to be to you. And so we have four elements. There's this interesting element. There are places in the Bible he breathed So 
we ask you to help us today to be a church who worships you both alone and in Christ that 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 seeks to overcome um, we also ask that personally and God those that maybe here facing all kinds of obstacles that when it drops our head it drops you so we surrender everybody have a great day and we'll find you on Thursday. Pastor Bill's going to be speaking again on Thursday and uh, look for an email from me tomorrow. Uh, I'll be coming out every week at the beginning of the week, uh, usually after conversation with Pastor Mike and Pastor Paul. Thank you for listening to this message from Harvest House Church. For more information, find us online at harvesthouse.com. Thank you.